Thank you so much for tuning into this episode of This Catholic Life. Today on the podcast, I'm sharing a recording of a recent talk that I had the honor of giving at a Theology Uncorked event hosted by the Good News Center in Utica, New York. My talk was on suffering. It was titled The Prayer of Weeping, and I shared about the story of Lazarus being risen from the dead and how that's helped me and my wife through the various struggles and sufferings that we've been through. I hope that my story and the story of Jesus and Lazarus can be a source of hope and healing for you for whatever suffering it is that you're going through. Thanks so much for tuning in, and here's a talk, The Prayer of Weeping. And let's welcome Nick Longo. Thank you so much, Debbie. Thank you so much, Debbie. Um, I really appreciate you guys inviting me out. Um, welcome back to all of the regulars for Theology Uncorked. It's a pretty awesome event. This is my first time, and I'm glad to be with you guys. First time for you as well. Welcome. Um, thanks for coming to your first talk, which is on suffering. So <laughs> good, good job. You're crushing it already. Um, so I'm really excited to talk with you all, um, and I'm excited to be here. I, I love being able to have the opportunity to share about Jesus. Um, it's, it's really what has helped transform my whole life and led me to do what I do now um, in youth ministry and parish evangelization. So just a little bit about myself. I started in ministry almost 10 years ago when I felt really called because I had a youth minister that really inspired me. And I was working in school, and I was doing my day-to-day thing in high school, and I saw bullying as a big issue. And at the time, I was really, really into movies. I really thought I was going to go be not quite a movie star, but maybe behind the scenes and make movies. And so I was really into doing that. And when we were uh, in my photo class, my junior year of high school, we saw this issue of bullying becoming really, really bad. And so my photo teacher, Wendy Cross, amazing, amazing woman, has inspired me so much. And she told us, hey, let's put yourselves into action to do something about this great issue of bullying, and let's try to make a change. And so she inspired us to kind of put our film uh, dreams at practice, and we started this little project called Stop the Aid, Spread the Hope, which led me to do uh, this little documentary, um, which was called Stop the, Stop the Hate, Spread the Hope, and... Um, Ultimately, what happened with that uh, is we stopped filming the documentary and we started speaking out about why bullying is wrong. And that kind of led me to doing speaking for a few years. And then ultimately, I really wanted to talk about the reason for my hope. And so I kind of was inspired to come into ministry from that project. And that's led me to do ministry for the past couple of years in parishes uh, in Syracuse. And then I went out to uh, Portland, Oregon, where my wife and her family are from and lived out there for a while and did ministry. And now I'm all the way back here in Syracuse at the home parish that inspired me to do everything. So it's really great to be back in Syracuse and to be at Holy Family. But I want to talk to you guys about movies because, like I said, movies are my dream and I love movies so much. Who goes to the movies regular? It's kind of, it's kind of a not common thing anymore since COVID, but... You know, it's like something I love to get out and do. My daughter and I just went on our little first, like, out, outing to the movies, and it was the best thing. She, like, laid on my lap because, you know, they're, like, bougie, these movie theaters now. You have, like, reclining chairs and everything. It's amazing. So she came with me, and we went and saw a movie, and it was, like, the best thing ever. I love going to the movies, and I love movies, and I really love stories. Stories, like, 
are just the best thing ever because they captivate you, they kind of draw you in, and it's something that I've always loved to study and look at. But I want to just kind of have you imagine with me for a second. I want you to imagine that, you know, we're talking about suffering, so maybe you had a hard day, you were suffering that day, but you were planning to go to that Friday movie, and you were a little bit late because the boss was yelling at you, and it was a little chaotic, and so you had to just... You, you were just late and you were delayed, and so you missed the entire first part of the movie. You missed act one of the movie, right? And so you get in, you sit down, and you're there at the movie, and, you know, it's a great romance where there's this love story, and you miss the beginning part, but the, the couple has been separated now, and the entire part of the movie that you're watching, that you're entering into, act two, is all about this struggle of them fighting to get back to each other. And there's chaos. I mean... This is the best movie you've ever seen in terms of action, okay? Who watched, like, Top Gun Maverick? It's like, it's like that. It was pretty awesome. It was a great movie, right? So it's like crazy action. They're fighting. They're, there's just chaos. It's just, you know, craziness. They're just trying to fight to get back to each other. But now imagine this. Your day is not over. Chaos, suffering is still just coming after you, and you get a phone call. Oh, no. Come home craziness at home we need you we need you right now so you have to run out of the movie and you have to go home you got to take care of whatever it is that you have to deal with so you miss all of act three so so all you got was act two that that's that center portion of all the battling all the chaos all the craziness that fight to get back to each other but you miss the beginning part where you saw the the development of this love story why does this battle matter you didn't have any idea you're like why are these people fighting you know and then you leave and you miss act three so you're not even seeing the conclusion right you're like what just happened i people are like how was the movie you're like man it was it was crazy there was a lot of fighting but i couldn't tell you anything about it don't know why they were fighting don't know what they were leading to like i don't know how it ended people were just you know it was crazy a lot of fighting you'd, you'd leave that movie and you'd kind of be like that was just not the story i wanted it wasn't like the great outing where you wanted to sit back, you know, lay down, pop your feet up. Like maybe if you're, you know, I got a daughter like me who could just lay with you and just relax. You didn't have that relaxing time. All you had was that chaos. And, you know, I just want to start there because I think that's how we sometimes feel about our life. We're sitting in act two all the time. And we have this chaos, this battle we're fighting to get somewhere, right? But we're just waiting for the ending, but we just feel like it's not there. We're just never, it's never going to happen. And I think a lot of times we also forget the beginning part of the story. There's a purpose for this pain. There's a purpose for all this chaos and the struggle and everything that we're going through. But we forget that sometimes and we just sit in that, that darkness, that, that pain, that struggling that we're going through. And it just, it hurts us, doesn't it? I think it just hurts us so much. Now, just let me tell you a little story. I want to tell you a little story because like I said, I love stories. So I want to tell you a story about this boy and this girl and they love each other. They love each other so very much. They, they saw each other at an event. They, they just, the, the man thought he was, this girl was just beautiful. She was singing and he really was attracted. He wanted to get to know her. So he pursues her. He gets to know her and they fall in love. And lo and behold, he says, I need this woman for the rest of my life. He's going to get down on one knee and he proposes to her. 
beautiful moment. She says, yes. Oh my gosh, it's amazing. Doves fly out. Beautiful. It's amazing, right? You want to watch this movie. Am I right? I'm right. Oh no. Yes or yes? Yes. So they're going to get married. They do. They go. They get married. And it's an amazing wedding day. They're so excited about their life to come and everything that's about to happen for them. And what do they do? They, they want to start a family. They want to grow this love that they've been given in each other. And they, they do. They go and they start to go to try to have kids. But then tragedy strikes. And the couple falls into this deep, deep sadness when they find out they've conceived. But unfortunately, the baby has passed. Baby loses their life. They lose their child. And the miscarriage happens. It's so sad. And then they go, and they're sad, and they cry, and they cry, and they take that entire weekend because they love Harry Potter. So to get over this suffering, they're going di- to dive into Harry Potter. They watch all the movies about Harry Potter, and when they get to Order the Phoenix, they say, wow, the symbol of the Phoenix, that resurrection, I love that. We should name our child we just lost, Phoenix, in memory, and, and just remember that resurrection is possible. So they name their first lost child Phoenix. And then they go and they, they're holding on to hope. They have another child they conceive and they're so excited. And they go to their appointments. It's high risk. They go every single week. And again, 20 weeks comes around and they hear no heartbeat. Sadness again. The chaos of their love story just is there. And they sit in that sadness. They sit in that sadness and they know that the story of God that they believe in is a story of God reaching out to his people, Israel, and the people, Israel, finding that hope is in Jesus. And they know that story of Israel, and so they name their second child Israel in the hope that they have in God. And They try to hold on to that, and they try to hold on to that. So as I'm telling this story now, I'm just going to pause and say, you're probably like, wow, this is getting really, really detailed. How do you know so much about that weekend where they spent you know, watching Harry Potter, naming Phoenix, and then Israel. It's pretty personal. And that's because it is. This story is my story. It's my wife's story. And it's the moment of our greatest suffering in our entire life. And I hope to God that that's the greatest suffering that we'll go through. But I'm sure we will have to suffer more in our life. We all do. I think we all have a moment that we could think about right now in our heads. If we just all close our minds, I'm sure you could imagine a moment in your life that you would call your greatest moment of suffering. I think that it's something that we, that we all hold on to. Sometimes the devil can try to tempt us to identify with that, that suffering and just hold us in that, and we forget about the hope that we are always longing for when we're sitting in those moments of chaos. We all have that moment of greatest suffering, but, you know, I prayed on this talk and prayed about suffering. And of course, these things in my mind of my greatest moment of suffering comes to mind. And I wondered, well, what does God have to say about suffering? And what was his greatest moment of suffering? And I really came to this passage in John's gospel that really helped to heal my wife and I, really helped to heal us through our suffering and lead us to healing. Um, And I really hope that for anyone in this room who I know you're all here, who have a greatest moment of suffering. I hope that this scripture passage can be for you what it was for my wife and I. And it's from John's Gospel, chapter 11. And we'll start at verse 17. And we're going to go through most of John's Gospel here, chapter 11. 
Um, it's the story of Lazarus. When Jesus arrived, he found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days. But now, Bethany was near Jerusalem, only about, nine, or only about two miles away. And when the Jews had come to Martha and Mary to comfort them about their brother, when Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went to him, and but, but Mary sat at home. Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if only you had been there, my brother would not have died. But even now, I know that whatever you ask of God, God will give it to you. And Jesus said to her, your brother will rise. Martha said to him, I know he will rise in the resurrection on the last day. And Jesus told her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, even if he dies, will live. And everyone who lives and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? And she said to him, Yes, Lord, I have come to believe that you are the Messiah, the Son of God, the one who is coming into the world. When she had said this, she went and called her sister Mary secretly, saying, The teacher is here and is asking for you. And as soon as she heard this, she rose quickly and went to him. For Jesus had not yet come into the village, but was still where Martha had met him. And so when the Jews who were with her in her house, comforting her, saw Mary get up quickly and go out, they followed her, presuming that she was going to the tomb to weep there. And when Mary came to where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet and said to him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus saw her weeping, and the Jews who had come with her weeping, he became perturbed and deeply troubled and said, Where have you laid him? And they said to him, Sir, come and see. And Jesus wept. And so the Jews said, See how he loved him. But some of them said, Could not the one who opened the eyes of the blind man have done something that this man would not have died. So Jesus, perturbed again, came to the tomb. It was a cave, and the stone lay across it. And Jesus said, Take away the stone. Martha, the dead man's sister, said to him, Lord, by now there will be a stench. He has been dead in there for four days. And Jesus said to her, Did I not tell you that if you believe, you will see the glory of God? So they took away the stone, and Jesus raised his eyes to the Father. Father, I thank you for hearing me. I know that you always hear me. But because of this crowd here, I have said this, that they may believe that you sent me. And when he had said this, he cried out in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. And the dead man came out tied hand and foot in burial bands, and his face, face with, was wrapped in a cloth. And Jesus said to them, Untie him and let him go.
I love this story so much, this story of Jesus and Lazarus. Jesus going, being there for Mary and Martha in their suffering, feeling their suffering too, weeping for them, and then going to his friend Lazarus, who he loves so much, and raising him from the dead. It's such a beautiful story. It's such a beautiful story of love and mercy, compassion, and God, the power of God to raise the dead. I just think that's an incredible thing. It's an incredible thing to hope in. And I want to just talk about what happens in the story because I think that we can relate to this in our suffering because I think oftentimes, like I said, we stay in our act too. We stay in these moments of suffering and we're, we're fogged to what could be in the future and we forget everything in our past that led us to this moment where we could have love and we could experience love. God always wants us to experience his love. But we sit in our act too in our suffering and we forget love. And we, we just hold on to our pain and our brokenness and our suffering. But Jesus enters into that and he goes to Mary and Martha. He comes to the town. And what's the first thing that we see happen here? We see Mary and Martha come to Jesus. And what do both of them say? Both of them at one point look at Jesus and they say, Lord, if only you had been here, my brother wouldn't have been dead. How many times have you or I played that game with God? Right? Where we're in our suffering and we want to go and pray or we just feel like we can't even pray, so we're just sitting and listening and hoping God comes to us. And when he's there and we, we feel his presence, all we can say is, God, if only you had been here, I wouldn't have lost my son. I wouldn't have lost my daughter. I wouldn't have lost my grandmother, my friend. I wouldn't be going through this awful divorce. I wouldn't be going through this awful pain and loss of a job. I wouldn't have gone through COVID and all of that came of it. If only you had been here, Lord. And we forget. We forget how much God loves us. He wants to enter into that with us. He sees those wounds. And that's the reason why God came and walked this earth. That's the whole reason for the incarnation. We're about to get into Advent. The whole reason for the incarnation was because God loved you and I so much that he came here to love us and enter into the brokenness and the wounds that we have so that he could conquer those things, wash those things away, and in fact, make those things, those sufferings, those pains, the means of our salvation. That through his cross and his death, when you look at it, his death, his cross, it's the greatest moment of suffering mankind's ever seen. God put to death on a cross. But what has he done? He's transformed that moment. When we wear it around our necks now as a remembrance of an identity that is so much greater. Our identity as human beings, as children of God, we are people who believe in the resurrection that even death cannot hold us back from the joy and the love that is present in our Lord Jesus who comes and saves us. It's pretty incredible. So we play this game with God sometimes, like Martha and Mary, where we say, Lord, if you had only been there, if you had only been there. But Jesus says, your brother will rise. 
your brother will rise. And he says to you, and he says to me, whatever it is you're going through, you will rise from it. You will have new life. But I think this is what often happens. We hold on so much to that pain and that suffering, and we identify in that suffering, and we just put it away. And we we won't let God go there. Not that thing. Not that moment. And we struggle, and we struggle, and we struggle. And I did this. I did this. For, you know, as we were going through, and we we left, left that terrible experience, it was so hard to approach God, to pray, and to just feel like, he was there for us. And I remember there was this one day when I was sitting in my office and you know, I was preparing for a youth talk and I just couldn't feel God's presence there. And I remember I went down into the chapel and it was about six months after everything had happened with both of our kids. And I had really struggled after the loss of our, our second, our son Israel. And I remember just sitting in that and feeling like, where is God? And so I went to the tabernacle and I just sat in front of the tabernacle And I remember the only prayer that I could muster was, Lord Jesus, I just want my son back. I just want my son back. I just want my son back. And it was the craziest thing. I remember in the silence, God speaking to me and saying, I want my son back too. Because I had distanced myself so far from God and I wasn't willing to open up the tomb of my life. And I think we can all relate to that, that we're not willing to open up the tomb. And so I heard that. I heard that. Him speak to me. I want my son back. And I realized I needed to just go to God because that was all I had. And I had to believe. I had to believe that his truth could transform me. I had to believe that there was an act three. There was a resurrection and a hope for me. And I had to open my my heart up to that. But how often can we all relate to that where we just can't roll back the stone? And that's what we see at the end. I think it's Mary or Martha. She says, Jesus, he's been dead in there for four days. It's going to stink. You don't want to go in there. And it's funny when we read that kind of, but like we can relate to that. Like, don't go in that place. It stinks. Don't open it up. It's not going to be good. (laughs) But we have to. We have to open up and give Jesus whatever it is in our tomb. So I want you to think about that. What is in your tomb? And how can you roll back the stone and allow Jesus to speak into your life? Debbie, come out. Rise. (laughs) Whoever it is, whatever it is in your life, can Jesus speak into your life? and allow you to rise to new life. And I just want to give you one tip. I want to give you one tip because I think that I've, I've just been convicted by this so much. And when my friend Chris Spilka, when he hears this, he's going to laugh. I told Debbie if I could work this in, I would. But I've been talking about the hemorrhaging woman all year long. And um, I just want to share with you the, the, the secret. I think that Mark chapter 5 can be the secret to all of us for really allowing the transformation to enter into our life. And I think that when I was convicted with Mark chapter 5, the story of the hemorrhaging woman, I was praying about the sacraments. And I was saying, Lord, I really want the sacraments to be able to transform my life. 
I really, really, really want the sacraments to transform my life and allow me to find healing. Because I was struggling with really believing that the sacraments could really, really transform my life. And then I read in the catechism that the sacraments, the catechism says, is a face-to-face encounter with God. And that struck me to the heart. And so I started reading this passage of the hemorrhaging woman. And I just think that it is the key to recognizing that the sacraments are something that we shouldn't just pass by. So it's Mark chapter 5, and we're going to start at verse 24. A great crowd followed him and thronged about him. And there was a woman who had a flow of blood for 12 years and who had suffered much under many physicians and had spent all that she had and was no better, but rather she only grew worse. And she had heard the reports about Jesus And she came up behind him in the crowd just to touch his garment. For she said that even if I touched his garments, I shall be made well. And immediately the hemorrhaging ceased. And she felt that in her whole body she had been healed. And Jesus, perceiving in himself that power had gone forth from him, immediately turned about in the crowd and said, Who touched my garments? And his disciples said to him, But Lord, You see the crowd pressing about you, and yet you say, who touched me? And he looked around to see who had done it. But the woman, knowing what had been done to her, came in fear and trembling and fell down before him and told him the whole truth. And he said to her, daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your disease. I think that this passage in scripture is, is the key for all of us to get over our suffering and to allow God to transform it, to make it something that we can identify with, not because of the pain that it brings us, but because of the resurrection that it shows is coming in our life and that we can experience right now. Because here's the thing about this woman. She heard the reports about Jesus that he could come speak into her tomb and allow her to come out of it from this terrible disease that she had suffered from. She believed in that. And she came out in the crowd and reached out just to touch his garment. She reached out in faith and it made her well. But the disciples, we notice, there's another group in this story. The disciples, they're saying, Jesus, there's this whole crowd pressing about you, but you're wondering who touched you? Why didn't those people get healed? They were all, sure, brushing shoulders with Jesus. So what's the difference between the hemorrhaging woman and the crowd? Yeah, faith. Faith. True faith. And I think that that is so key. When, it talk, when we talk about our suffering, we have to hold on to our faith and we have to believe in true faith. Because I think sometimes in the church we can be that crowd. And that's who I was That when I came to this passage. I was just a church guy. I was in the crowd of Jesus. I was pressing shoulders with him, brushing shoulders. I would receive him. I would touch him in my hand in the Eucharist. But I wouldn't allow it to transform my life. How often can we all relate to that? Where we come to the sacraments, we go to confession, we go to the Eucharist, Sunday Mass or daily Mass, but we don't recognize the transforming power that if only we just reach out and touch his garment, it could make us well. So I implore you today, Please, 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 whenever you go through suffering, 
Whenever you go through anything in your life, even when you're experiencing joy, reach out to the sacraments because those can transform you. It's Jesus. It's Jesus present in the sacraments. And if you believe in Jesus, the resurrection is possible for you. And your tomb isn't the end of the story. It's just act two. So reach out for act three. Only touch his garment, it'll transform you. So let's pray. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen. I just want to pray with you from the Philippians chapter 3. It's a great thing that Paul says that I think we can just let sit in our minds and our hearts and allow Christ to allow us to be healed. Paul says, But whatever gains I had, these I have come to consider a loss because of Christ. More than that, I even consider everything as a loss because of the supreme good of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I have accepted the loss of all things and consider them to be so much rubbish that I may gain Christ and be found in him. Not having any righteousness of my own based on the law, but which comes through faith in Christ. The righteousness from God, depending on faith to know him and the power of his resurrection and the sharing of his sufferings by being conformed to his death. If somehow I may attain the resurrection from the dead. It is not that I have already taken hold or have already attained perfect maturity, but I continue to my pursuit in hope that I may possess it since I have indeed been taken possession by Christ Jesus. Brothers and sisters, I, for my part, do not consider myself to have taken possession of anything, just one thing, forgetting what lies behind but straining forward toward what lies ahead. I continue my pursuit towards the goal, the prize of God's upward calling in Christ Jesus. Join with others in being imitators of me, brothers and sisters, and observe those who thus conduct themselves according to the model you have in us. For many, as I have often told you, and now tell you even in weeping, conduct themselves as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their, their end is destruction, their God is their stomach, their glory is in their shame, their minds are occupied with earthly things, but our citizenship is in heaven. And from it, we also await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. He will change our lowly body to conform with his glorified body by the power that enables him also to bring all things into subjugate, subjugation to himself. Amen. Amen. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Thanks so much for listening to this talk, The Prayer of Weeping. I hope that this talk 
was a blessing to you in your life and can help you to roll back the stone and allow Jesus to speak his healing truth into your life that you might find peace and comfort from whatever it is that you are going through in your life. Big thank you again to the Good News Foundation, the Good News Center in Utica, New York, for hosting this great event, Theology Uncorked. It happens on the third Thursday of the month. So if you're out in the Utica area, I would encourage you to go and check out this great event. For more details, you can check out the Good News Foundation online. Again, thanks so much for tuning in to the This Catholic Life podcast, and I hope to see you on another episode. God bless.